It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is so awesome to have you here. You know, I love Halloween, and I'm excited to say we got like 94 days, 93 days left uh, before we can celebrate Halloween. And for those who celebrate Christmas, uh, I think it's 190 days. No, 100. And... Yeah, something like that. Anyway, 161. Thank you. 161 days. 160 days left for that, which goes to show you that we are kind of just, you know, uh, things are wrapping up quicker than we'd like. And of course, you know, for a lot of us, it's the happiest time of the year because our kids are going back to school. It's the happiest time of the year. All right. Uh, enough of that. Let's, uh, let's start with the quote of the day. The quote of the day coming from Jennifer Hyman. Jennifer Hyman uh, is attributed to saying, be brave and take accountability for your thoughts and beliefs. Love that. Be brave and take, a, and take accountability for your thoughts and beliefs by Jennifer Hyman. We have more control than we sometimes realize or sometimes even want to be aware of. And we certainly can be accountable for our thoughts and our beliefs. And a lot of our beliefs are, you know, handed down from other people that may not serve us as well as um, maybe they served our parents or our grandparents or our great-grandparents or whoever it is that uh, that came from. So think about that. All right, let's get the party started on the show. Joining me today, Hernani Alves. Hernani Alves is an author, international speaker, consultant with over 20 years of business experience as a sales executive for a $3 billion company. In his book, Balanced Accountability, Three Leadership Secrets to Win Hearts and Maximize Performance, Hernani delivers a newfound clarity on the case for accountability and the steps organizations and individuals need to transform into modern leaders. Hernandi Alves, welcome to Money for Lunch. Hi, Bert. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of your show, and now I get to be a guest. Man, this is awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, so I, I got to ask you, your name is, is a bit unusual, Um her uh, Hernani Alves. Talk, talk, give us a little background on the name. It is definitely different. But before we get into my name, I think really what people want to know is what are you going to dress up as in October for Halloween? Have you got your costume uh, figured out yet? I do. I do. I am one of those nerds uh, who uh, I, I start thinking about my costume, you know, three, four, five months in advance. And uh, lately, um, I. Uh, I've been watching a lot of the Marvel-type movies and decided that this year I'm going to go as Nick Fury. I figure I have the haircut already. I just need, you know, uh, <laughs> and I even actually have some of the clothes. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I'm just going to go as Nick Fury. You know, 
not as uh, not as uh, what do you call it? My tan won't be as dark, but still, it'll be uh, it'll be Nick Fury like. Awesome. Oh, you got you can work <laughs> on your tan. You could either go out in the sun or get some of that mud and just kind of put it on yourself. I think you look great. That'll be awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, man, I'm excited about it. We uh, we go a little over over the top here. Uh, for Halloween, it's one of our favorite holidays, and so yeah, man, we start planning months in advance. So yeah, all right, but it's good to have you here. I'm excited to talk about your book. Um, you know, and it's funny too because accountability is one of those love-hate relationships. Uh, we love to hold other people accountable, but we don't like to be held accountable. But of course, we know that if we are held accountable, we do better. Accountability. It, you know, to me, accountability equals credibility. Yeah. You know, accountability is that naughty word in business, uh, especially this time in age. Someone says it, like, I'm leaving. I'm going to go work somewhere else. I do not <laughs> want to work for a company that has accountability. And if you really think about how, how dumb that statement is, you actually want to work for a company that has accountability, that has important values, things that they really live up to, that integrity. But I know you asked me about my name. Uh, I normally like to answer that right out of the gate because most people haven't met another her nanny. And yeah. uh, just got back just got back from vacation a couple weeks ago, and we were traveling in, in Portugal, Spain. And there's actually a, a country in northern Spain named her nanny. So I couldn't believe it that there is a that it actually exists out there. But <laughs> I grew. I was born in uh, Angola, Africa. English is my second language, and I'm third generation there. My sister's uh, nearly 14 years older than I am, and there was a famous singer there by the name of her nanny. And so when she knew that I was, uh, she was going to have a new brother, she really pushed my mom to be named her nanny, and my mom really liked that singer, and they were hoping that I could eventually become this amazing singer. Unfortunately, I let them down. I can't sing, but uh, it's, it's a name that I didn't like when I was younger, but the more I grew up, I really enjoyed it. It's different. It's unique. But once you go to Spain, Portugal, or you go to Brazil, other Portuguese areas, you're going to start hearing the name a little bit more. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting uh, that you said that. In, in a world uh, full of, uh, what do you call it, uh, just, you know, names in general, you know, sooner or later, all that, you know, you, you've heard a bunch of names. Uh, and when I was growing up, uh, everybody used to say, oh, Bert and Ernie. And they, they used to tease me about the whole Bert and Ernie thing, which, of course, I hated <laughs> as a kid. But now when I'm at an event or when I am trying to get somebody to remember my name, I use Bert and Ernie all the time. Hey, my name's Bert, you know, like Bert and Ernie. And, you know, they can't remember Bert by itself or Bert Martinez, but if I say Bert and Ernie, they, they, they don't forget that. So having a, a, a way of making your name stand out, or in this case, having a unique name like Hernani, uh, it's a big plus because it, it helps break through the crowd. And there's a lot of noise out there yeah. and there's a lot of people, and so when you can stand out – any any little edge can help. Absolutely. Yeah, when I go to conferences, when they soon hear my name, they always have me repeat it three different times. And uh, then I spell it out for them. And they always ask, do you have a business card, business card so I could see it? So it's, it has been uh, it's been very good and rewarding. But uh, it is definitely one of those names you, you will remember once you see it. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so let's go ahead and get into this um, and start up talking about this, as you said, kind of a naughty word, uh, accountability. Certainly accountability is probably not, uh, not one of those words that uh, people enjoy in, let's say, politics. Um, you know, politicians hate to be held accountable. Uh, and I don't care, you know, whether you're, you know, what who you vote for. Uh, I, I think uh, accountability and politics uh, are definitely uh, at odds with each other. But I think that accountability makes us all better. I mean, when when you look back in your life and you were held accountable, typically, you know, let's say in school, your grades did better when you were held accountable. Uh, and, you know, even in, in uh, what do you call it, Ath- athletics, athletes perform better when they're held accountable. And, and so the same Absolutely. thing in business. And, and it's like I said, it's this love-hate relationship. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it's just a weird thing. But I think it, it, and I was talking about this yesterday. Um, we have a, a Monday uh, uh, phone call for our mastermind group, and we were talking about how we all do better with accountability. And sometimes what's really funny is that if you really seriously look at yourself, how you're performing in your own business as your CEO, there there are probably times where because of lack of accountability, because you're at the top, you didn't perform as well. Absolutely. And when you look at when you talked about professional athletes, the most important thing that they have is that accountability coach, someone that keeps them waking up in the morning, keeps them pushing to become better. And when you look at businesses, that is one of the most important things that any leader, they, they have to have it and they need to do it. Most of them don't know how to do it and they've done it wrong or they've been taught wrong. And that's really where the, the book comes into balanced accountability. Cause I screwed it up at the beginning just as well. Uh, I got my, at 23 years old, I started working for this company. It was only going to be short term. Started working for the company's called sleep trade mattress centers. It was here in the Valley in the central California area. And when I got into it, I fell in love with the culture. I mean, it wasn't something I was planning on doing as selling mattresses. It was just, I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with what we were actually truly selling was dreams, helping people sleep better. And then about six months into it, I, I got my own store. And uh, I, was, I was given, I, I got the store by default. And the reason I got it by default is no one else applied for the store. This store <laughs> had been labeled as like, it was like the cemetery. Whoever went there would die. And your career would die. And it was just that's they were ready to close that store as soon as the lease came up. I didn't know this. I was a rookie. But when you're kind of young and you're like, I'm just going to go after it and I'm going to see, I'm going to go prove them wrong. And I got in there and I brought my accountability. I was micromanaging the team. In two months, we tripled the store's business. We didn't get any more advertising. We didn't get nothing extra. It was just the mindset of our team. And we tripled the business. And I remember the day when my district manager came in, and I thought he was going to give me this big award. He was taking me out to lunch. So I thought he was going to take me out to, like, Ruth Chris, something nice. Uh, ended up being Sizzler, so they've got good steaks there as well. But over lunch, he's telling me that my team doesn't want to work with me anymore, and I couldn't believe it. Wow. Here, Yeah, so 
It was like, how could they not want to work with me? We're crushing goal. We're exceeding budget. We are moved from cemetery to being this hero of a store for the company that doesn't want to close anymore. My staff is making more money than they've ever made before. They're getting their bonus checks. And you're telling me they don't want to work? I don't believe you. He goes, do you know what your nickname is? And uh, I think I could share it here on it. It's in the sure. book, but sometimes I'm not sure if I – can you beep stuff out in case I say something I'm not supposed to say? I don't know if you can now, do that. This is live, so just go ahead and say it. Oh, <laughs> all right. He, they gave me the worst nickname you could ever get as a leader. So you know my name's Hernani. They started calling me Hernazi. That is the worst. Yeah, they, that, that was they, – I, I micromanaged. I was on top of them. Um, and uh, it hurt my feelings at the end of the day. I, I was crushed. I, I had a heart. And I had to, to take focus there, and that was the best thing that uh, my district manager, Matt, ever told me. Uh, that It was hard for him to tell me that, but if he would have told me that, I would have probably gone a different avenue. And uh, my accountability at that time was short-term. So these were short-term results, and then I had to change it. And that's where I learned about the three Ps of accountability. And then that's the part that I'm very passionate about of training other executives, other leaders. And once they really, truly master that, that's where their career starts taking off. They start winning the hearts of their employees, and they start maximizing everyone's performance, just like athletes. And it really comes down to the three Ps of accountability. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, That, to me, is so uh, interesting. And what's amazing about your story is that I think in some cultures, they would have looked past the fact that you were being her Nazi because the results you were getting were incredible results. You had turned that store around, and it went from a zero to a hero. And in a lot of cultures, they would have just said, hey, I don't care what he's doing. You know, the guy, the guy is incredible. Let's keep him. He, you know, he's a winner. And as you said, your your boss came to you and said, "Hey, you're doing great, but we kind of need to tweak it here. You know, you you you've definitely proven uh, some of your skills, but we need to just you know change it up a little bit." And and I think that was uh, that was good of him, but I think also, you know, if your head would have been someplace else, if you would have been you know all ego about it. You could have just said, hey, screw you. I'm going to quit because, man, I'm incredible. Look what I just did. And if people don't appreciate it, I'm just going to leave. So I think it, yeah. you know, ta- it does take both sides. Exactly. And I know you brought up the analogy with athletes. And you look at those athletes, the ones that are amazing all-stars, and they're like, no, I'm the best person on the team. And then what happens to them? They get punted. They get moved on. They go to another team. Then they go to another team. And then before you know it, they're gone. They're out of the league. It, it's yep. really a short-term thing. And it, for long-term, you, you've, you've got to be balanced. And you really do need to look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm not perfect because there's no human being on the face of this earth that is. I'm getting results, but I need to surround myself with, with people that I can really win their hearts. And once you do that, and that, that's kind of what happened in my career. So at 23 for the same company. I continued to move up in the company, um, and I ended up becoming the president of the company, which ended up we ended up doing uh, once once I left nearly three billion dollars in sales. So, so it just kind of shows you once once you understand accountability, you surround yourself. People really adapt to that, and our turnover rate was plummeted. It didn't didn't go anywhere because people wanted to stay there. 
They knew what was expected out of them. They knew that when we said something, we held ourselves accountable as a company and that we were going to execute. So many companies out there, we roll something out today. Next week, it's the new flavor of the week. We're going to change this, what we're doing. And, and, the, and the staff knows. They know that there's going to be something new. So they don't really commit to that because they know it's just we're just going to change gears again. There's no accountability for following up. Yeah. And, and- – and what's interesting, too, is, is when you're in that culture where things change every day and there's no accountability, uh, as you said, the staff knows it. So they're kind of like, ah, oh, this is the flavor of the week. I'm not going to even – yeah, I'm not going to worry about it. it it's not going to be here in a week or two weeks or, or whatever the deal is, right? You know, you mentioned the three Ps of accountability. What are the three Ps to accountability? The, the three Ps of accountability kind of – it was as I shared with my story there at the beginning. Um, the very first thing, and you brought it up too, is you really got to reflect on yourself. And you've got to look at the most important person in your life. And when I say that, most people think it's their spouse, their mom, dad, their parent, um, a very significant other. But at the end of the day, the most important person in your life is you. If you don't take care of yourself first, you're not, you can't help anybody else. And that's why when you fly a plane, they tell you to put that mask on you first before helping other people. And that's so the number one P is personal accountability, reflecting yourself, getting feedback from your team of things that you can do more of as a leader or less of as a leader. And as a, as a, a leader, how are you with feedback? Most leaders I, I work with, they, they don't do very well with feedback. They don't know how to receive feedback and feedback's a, a big gift. So first P is you, the most important person. And then the second P is the part that I learned that I wasn't doing at that store when I first started. And this is really what helped me to kind of move up in my career and get the results that I've gotten. It's positive accountability, catching people doing things right, magnifying that, celebrating those small wins and those victories. And I'm a big, people that have worked with me, they know that I have very ambitious goals. I throw out these big old goals, but I also know how to break down those goals into bite-sized chunks so, so people feel comfortable that we can actually execute that because we're going to celebrate those bite-sized chunks throughout the year when we go through it. And then the last P, this is where most leaders from day one, this is where they want to go straight to. And in, the, in my book, I tell them, don't go straight to peak, this last P because you're, you're going to fail if you go straight to this. You really got to go personal accountability, positive accountability, and this last P, performance-based accountability. So that is where you start having a visual scoreboard. And it's a visual scoreboard. If you look, if you go to, let's just go baseball, baseball season, you go to the baseball game, you can see exactly how many points are on the board, how many out-bats somebody's had, how many strikeouts, all this data. It's visual. Everyone can see it exactly where, how they're posted. And you don't want to be at the bottom of the list. You go to an NBA game, you're going to see how many points they've got, how many fouls they've got, how much time's left on the clock. You go to an NFL game, all that. So many times businesses are like, no, we're not going to show our bottom performers. Show your bottom performers. And what you're going to find out is those bottom performers don't like being in the bottom. They're going to come to you and ask for help, or they're going to leave. You're going to continue raising the bar, and your top performers are going to be excited because that, that's, that's kind of stroking their ego. They like to be on top of the boards. So have a visual scoreboard for your company and that's where the the performance base comes in yeah i like that i like that okay so ladies and gentlemen we're talking with hernani alves and we're talking about his 
latest book, Balanced Accountability, Three Leadership Secrets to Win Hearts and Maximize Performance. And again, the three Ps real quick was that personal self-reflection or personal accountability, positive accountability, and performance-based accountability. Um, And so uh, those are definitely important because I think that most people, when they think of accountability, interestingly enough, they think that it's a negative thing. But I love the fact that you're saying give positive accountability. Uh, you know, absolutely. That that to me is um, it, I, I just like that. I I think that is something that is sorely missing in all of our lives. Uh, you know, we sometimes the older we get, the less we celebrate. You know when. When you have a small child, anything that child does, it's a celebration. I mean, it is just, you know, crazy over the top how much we celebrate little things that our children do. And, of course, we celebrate less and less and less and less and to the point where nothing is celebrated almost. Uh, so I like this idea of, yeah. you know, so, uh, accountability, positive accountability. And now – I want to talk about this because in your book, you make this crazy statement about accountability equals love. I want you to talk about this because I I cannot wait to get your take on how accountability (laughs) equals love because this is funny. Go ahead. I just, I can't wait. Go ahead. Bert, I don't believe you said the four letter word. Can you say the four letter word on your podcast? You said love, the four letter word. (laughs) I know, but it's crazy because, there's so many businesses out there. They're so scared to say that word and they think they're going to get sued and they think that their, their staff's going to leave them. Absolutely. It couldn't be further from the truth. Accountability equals love. And it is. And if you look at people that have held you accountable throughout your career, who has helped you get to the point where you're at now, it might've been things you didn't like, but if you look back and it might've been a parent, a teacher, um, another coach, why did they truly help you? Because accountability equals love. And, and it, that's where it started with me, and that's where accountability uh, – at nine years old, my dad started a dairy business in Jerome, Idaho. Um, and the reason he went there, it was really easy to get into. Uh, the land was cheap, and the reason it was cheap because we had these horrible winter snow. Most businesses there didn't survive, but he wanted to go out there and try it. And when you work on a, on a dairy, everybody has to help. Uh, so I was nine years old. I, my job was to get off the school bus and go help my dad milk the cows. And then he would go feed the cows, and then we'd go and have dinner together. Well, this particular day was a very cold day going into the barn. My dad's there. He relieves me. There's only a few cows left uh, for me to bring in. And then there's this one cow that just uh, wouldn't come in. She's way in the back, and I finally see her, and she was wearing cow, the tag on her ear said number one. And it was cow number one, which was the most important cow on our dairy because that was the very first calf that we ever had. And that was the very first tag my dad ever put in in the ear. And she had now grown up, and she had calved herself, and it was her time to get milked. So cows, when they first go into a barn, they don't know what's going on. Even though you're giving them grain, everything's new to them. Well, I finally get in there, and I start trying to bring her around. And keep in mind, I'm nine years old, 75 pounds. This cow is, is nearly 1,500 pounds. She's spraying manure all over me because there's manure in there, and she's trying to scramble. So I'm not going in there. Finally get her in, 
and I give her a grain, she wouldn't eat it. She just kept her head up, wouldn't wouldn't touch the grain. And here I am, I got to clean her udder, and then I've got to put this machine on her. Well, she would kick. She didn't know what was going on. She would just kick. This water was cold. And I, I tried for a little while, and I finally said, forget about it. And I just opened up the gate and let her go without milking her. And I had about another 10 minutes of cleaning to do, and then I get to go inside the house. Well, right towards the end of cleaning, all of a sudden I hear the gate open up in the back, and I hear another I hear a cow come into the, the manger area. And then all of a sudden I hear the footsteps, and it's my dad's footsteps. You know, the, the there's there's pleasant footsteps, and then there's like the feet five fo fum. I'm gonna beat you footsteps, <laughs> and uh, those were the feet five fo fum beat you uh, footsteps. I knew I was in for it. If I ran, it was gonna get worse. So my dad forced me to put that cow in uh, into the stall, and there he did beat me. He gave me one of the b- biggest spankings I've ever gotten. And uh, at that point, I'm thinking, okay, that, that was painful. I'm glad this is before timeout. Keep in mind, you know, timeout wasn't invented yet. So here's a chance I get to go home and, uh, and, and have dinner and, and cry to mom. And as soon as I took two steps towards the house, my dad grabbed me by the collar, turned me around. He told me to go finish the job that I started and do it right this time. And uh, that was one of the best lessons I ever got because it forced me to go and, and milk her properly do it because they've got this mechanism you can put over their hips that heat that that's like a little metal guard that goes over and they don't kick you you put the put it on so it would have taken me a little bit longer um i was completely done but that was one of the best lessons he taught me because in leadership sometimes we start something and we're like oh, this is getting hard uh, let's just forget about right. it and move on to something else right and so well, that lesson especially especially when you're feeling overwhelmed and here's a nine-year-old boy dealing with a 1500 pound beast and and it's you know whatever it's 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 cold it's filled with manure you know you got all the stuff it can be overwhelming and 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 sometimes when we're overwhelmed we need we need to you know either get help or we will give up because we're overwhelmed absolutely and and bert this is where I actually didn't like my dad for years. I uh, I was scared of him. I, I I hate using this other word, a four-letter word, but I did hate him. I, I I thought he was there just to punish me. And it wasn't until I started seeing my career take off and remembering these things that he taught me. And my dad truly loves me. And I just told you about this trip I took. My dad's 85 now, and I took him back with other family members and siblings. We took him to uh, the St. George Island in the Azores where he grew up, and we took him to – to kind of really take in why he sacrificed everything he did for us and, and bring us to this amazing country in, in the U.S. and for us to all now be. We're all entrepreneurs. We're all extremely successful. And it really came down to that love that my parents gave me. So when I look at accountability and when I work with other people, I look at it as I'm giving you love. I'm here to help you. I'm trying to make you better, just like my district manager had the love to tell me my nickname because uh, if he wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been as successful as I have been yeah and again I I do want to point out that this is uh, to me important because what you said about some leaders hate to get feedback uh, and and they don't know how to handle it and, and and you know sometimes our egos get the best of us and you were you were willing to look 
you know, using your 3P model, you were looking, you were, you were willing to take a step back and, and take some personal accountability, some self-reflection and, you know, make some changes because if your ego would have been too big, you may not have done that. Yeah. When you're, when your ego is too big, you're immature. You just don't see stuff. You just don't understand that. And so when I think when it's called immature leadership, immature management, but when you truly are mature, you understand that, that someone's helping you there, especially if you keep getting the same feedback over and over again, you need to really take action. You're just not listening at that point because you got to look at that as a gift. Somebody gives you on Christmas or your birthday, you're going to get some gifts. You're going to love like, wow, this is awesome. There's going to be some gifts you get. Uh, it might not be your favorite. You might re-gift it to somebody else. It's the first time you've ever gotten that type of gift, right? Uh, and then, but you're still going to be nice about it. You're going to say, hey, thank you for doing that. That was very thoughtful. I really appreciate it. And uh, it really works that way when you get feedback. It's uh, You accept it, and you start start keeping in your own mind, are they saying the same thing over and over again? I need to take action. And, and that was something that I had heard that I micromanaged, that I was too tough. I was too by the book. And, uh, and I learned that's where the, the positive accountability, once I shifted gears, that same team that wanted to get rid of me, that, uh, that didn't want to work with me and go to other stores, that team in six months ended up giving me one of my most prized possessions I've ever received. They gave me an award for being the best leader for them, and I ended up becoming manager of the year for the organization. So it, it was just prideful to see that, and it was really shifting gears once they understood that I'm here to help you. I'm here to, to show you some love. But I'm also going to catch you doing things right and really magnify that. Yeah. No, I like you, that. You me- I like that. Go ahead. I was going to say you, you mentioned about the uh, positive accountability with kids and so forth. And I have two kids of my own. I have a, a daughter. She's the oldest. And then four years later, we had a son. My daughter, when she was eight years old, uh, I was going to go hit golf balls at the driving range. She saw me. She goes, Dad, I want to go. So we went there. I'm like, I was excited. I'm like, oh, my gosh, my daughter's going to play golf with me. This is going to be cool. So I got there, and I started teaching her exactly how to hold the club, exactly how to do everything. And I kept like, no, this is how you got to do it, honey. You got to do it this way. Do it this way. Do it this way. Well, at the end, she hated it. She never wanted to go out again. And I, was, uh, I totally screwed that one up. Four years later, now my son – is eight years old. My daughter's 12. And my son wants to go. And I asked my daughter, she goes, nope, I don't want to go. So we end up going to uh, hit balls. And all I did was like, hey, buddy, this is, this is how you hold the club. Just try to make contact. You know, you're eight. You should be hitting this ball about eight feet. That's how far you should be. Hitting. Anything over eight feet, you're a stud. You're, this is awesome. So he started hitting it. <laughs> we celebrate every time hit over eight feet. We're excited. So guess what? That experience, I caught him doing things right. We get back. And uh, we're having our dinner, the four of us, my wife and my daughter, and my, my son's like, Dad, when are we going to go back? That was so much fun today. And I go, let's go tomorrow. And uh, my daughter goes, Dad, I want to go because he heard it from my son. Well, now I take her. This time she's 12, and I do the same thing. Hey, you're 12. You should be hitting this ball 12 feet. And uh, anything over 12 feet, we're going to really celebrate and have a good time and high fives. That's what we ended up doing so much that my daughter loved the sport. She ended up going to high school, makes the varsity team, and is now one of the top golfers in her school and has shot a 72, 70, 73 or something like that in a recent tournament. So she could play some golf, and I almost screwed it up from her by just being negative, just by trying to micromanage her how to play golf instead of 
celebrating the small wins when she did make contact with the ball. Yeah, and I think that is a great story for all of us to remember, not only with our kids, but even when we hire somebody new. Uh, You know, no matter who you are and no matter who you're dealing with, if it's new to them, you got to take it slow and easy. I mean, uh, I, you know, looking back, I did the same thing with my kid when it came to baseball because I was fairly proficient at baseball and, and, you know, I took the fun out of it for him because I was trying to teach too much, you know, you know, depending on, you know, depending on your kid, and, and I don't think this really changes, they really want to have fun. I mean, they don't really want to play baseball or maybe they don't really want to golf or whatever. They want to hang out with their father and have fun time with their dad. And yes, if, if golfing is a side benefit, great. You know, if it's, you know, whatever it is. Right. And one of the things that I've noticed of the difference between being a father and a grandfather is that as grandparents, you have very different expectations for your grandchildren. And, you know, I, I've come to realize that uh, what I've noticed, the way my, uh, my children act with their grandparents, that if we all had that grandparent mentality in the very beginning – everybody would have more fun within their own family because grandparents tend to be very positive. They tend to, uh, you know, they, they just pour on the positivity, at least for mm-hmm. most, at least for the grandparents that I'm aware of, right? They just, you know, uh, they're very encouraging, very positive, And, that's why you always hear a conversation that goes something like, you know, gee, mom, you were never that way with me. Or, or gee, dad, you were never that patient with me. And, and so, you know, I think that, uh, that, that uh, story with your kids is one of my favorite takeaways from our conversation today that, you know, whether you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, a, a child or you're onboarding a, a new uh, person at, at the office, you know, you can't make it so, you know, burdensome that it takes the fun away. You can't, you can't, it can't be, it just cannot be a friggin', you know, I don't know how, what the, what the word is, but it can't be so much work that it takes the fun out of it, even if it's supposed to be work related. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Oh, 100%, Bert. You're right on. I love that uh, grandparent story. And it's very true because they, they were parents and they made those mistakes too where they probably held their kids a little more accountable. Now they're grandparents and they understood that didn't work so well or, or there might have been some improvements. Now they're just catching people doing things right, and that's why we love them so much, and that's why the kids are, are saying, hey, how come you didn't act that way when I was a, a little guy? So you're right on with that. Love yeah. It. And I think that – I think that, 
we just need to, uh, what do you call it, Re- reflect on that. I mean, that story about your daughter uh, and your son, I think is a great story. Is that in the book or is that just? Yeah, no, that's in the book. Uh, it is. So uh, this this is a business book, and I don't like traditional business books with all these different models. And you got to remember, it's like seven strategies, but each seven strategy has like five different things in each one. So now you got 35 different models that just don't make sense. This book is written as a hybrid business book. So it's full of stories, things that I've learned, true stories, feedback from my team. I had a, a very I was very fortunate to be surrounded by a book committee. People that I have fired uh, that no longer worked for me were in this book that helped me put it together because they said that was the best thing that ever happened to them uh, for me letting them go and and, and they truly that I truly held them accountable. So they're reflected in their stories of how fortunate. And it hasn't been that many people, but there are some some people you've got to move on. And that's why yeah. some of these athletes don't don't play. And and I call them energy vampires. If you surround yourself with energy vampires that are sucking up all your energy, you're gonna eventually not gonna be successful. You're, you're gonna hate yourself. You don't even want to be a leader anymore. But if you truly, and, and I have a really good success rate with energy vampires, I call them out. I bring them in, and I tell them they are sucking the energy out of myself or the team or the company, and here's the three things of how you're doing it, and I give them three facts. And when you give them three facts, they can't debate it. They will normally uh, accept it. They may want more clarity of exactly what I mean by that. And then I go, we need to come up with an action plan of how we can bring you back to where you start becoming, where you're contributing more to the team. And uh, I have a huge success rate where they end up becoming some of my biggest advocates because I called them out just like my manager called me out and said I was being a her Nazi. So I call them out and I say, you're being an energy vampire. But the key thing there is giving those three facts. Well, and and here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Uh, I'm a big believer that there are some people that for whatever reason simply will not perform well within your organization or your department or your team. And the best thing you can do for everybody is to let them go. And the faster you come to that conclusion, the better it is, because I want to say, if it's not a hundred percent of the time, at least in about 95% of the time, both parties will feel better about it. Once, you know, once everything settles, right. So in the moment, of, of, of having to terminate somebody, that's a bad, you know, that's not a great experience. Being terminated is not a great experience. But, you know, a few months down the road where, where you found the right person to be part of your team and they found the right team to be uh, part of, then everybody can come together and say, yeah, that was a good experience. I'm glad you terminated me. I'm glad I left, you, you know, your team because I found the team that I'm going to click with. And sometimes that's just, you know, part of the deal. Now, in some cases, like you're talking about, somebody who, again, is coachable and can say, you know what, you're right. Those are the three things that I'm doing, and I'm going to actively change them. That's awesome. Uh, You know, again, we all need some coaching and some accountability, right? Absolutely, and that's where they become loyal. Uh, But you're right on with – I remember the first time I went to our CEO, the founder of the company, and I told him, hey, I've got this – this person, we tried everything we could. This is, here's what I've done. And they are a million dollar writer for the company. So they write a lot of business. They're in our top 2% of the company. And I go, wow. we need to let this person, we need to cut this person. We need to let them go. 
And I can promise you, as soon as we let this person go, the rest of the team, will they will enjoy it. My turnover rate will go down, and I will produce more than that, that million-dollar writer was doing. And, yeah, we did take a step back. In uh, and, and all my cases, when I've, we've let some of our top performers go, only after we've tried everything, we have as a team ended up doing more business, and, and the people are happier than when that person was there. So, and then those are the ones, those advocates, those are the ones that kind of, hey, this sucks. I can't believe you're, because that's a lot of money for them. They're making a tremendous amount of money. They have to reflect that they just got fired from a great job, and now they go somewhere else, and they have more integrity, they have more accountability, and they start growing up in the company. And I have a lot of those that are now um, VPs. Some of them are in the C-suite now of running their own group of business, and they were fired from our company, and they, they reflect back going, Hernani, thank you for doing that. That was that would have completely changed my career because I I probably would have been a failure later on. And that's because I truly love them and they felt that love. Um, so that's a great uh, story that you had there, Bert, reflected on when we had to let some of these top performers go. Absolutely. All right. Uh, today our guest, my guest, has been Hernani, Hernani Alves and the book, Balanced Accountability. Three Leadership Secrets to Win Hearts and Maximize Performance. Hernani, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and I want to wish you great success uh, with your book, and Balanced Accountability, three, leaders, three Leadership Secrets to Win Hearts and Maximize Performance. I'm going to put a link here in the notes, and you guys can uh, check out his book. It's also available on Amazon, and uh, that link here, Personal Accountability, Positive performance-based accountability. I love it. I love it. Hernani Alves, thank you so much for stopping by today. Thank you, Bert. Love you. I love what you're doing. Can you do me a favor? Sure. For everybody? Take a picture of your Halloween costume and post it up there. We, we got to see it. And I want to see a good tan. <laughs> Have fun, my friend. And I will turn up and I will put my, my, my costume uh, Everybody have a great uh, rest of the day. Hernani, thanks so much again for stopping by. Thanks. Cheers. Take care. All right. Good stuff there from Hernani Alves. And, again, balanced accountability, three leadership secrets to win hearts and maximize performance. I love some of the takeaways that we've had in today's conversation, especially about him and his daughter, uh, and his son, the whole golfing thing, that's so applicable to life and business. Uh, and the whole thing about positive accountability, we need to probably do that more. I certainly know I need to do that more than anything else. Uh, we never get enough. Friends, thank you so much for stopping by and listening. And thank you so much for sharing this episode. Let's help as many people as we can by sharing this episode, let's help them become the kind of leaders that win hearts and maximize performance. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. <laughs>